Once again, Frank and Joe Hardy accept the challenge of a puzzling case when their famous detective father asks the boys to assist him in tracking down a notorious jewel thief and his accomplices. The trail leads to the outskirts of the Hardy's hometown and to a weirdly grounded mansion on the old Perth estate. With their chubby, oh God, ever hungry friend, Chet Morton. Oh my God, that's so sad. Frank and Joe tackle another mystery, one which has baffled the town of Bayport for many years. What caused the sudden death of old man Perth's nephew, who had inherited the mansion when his uncle died? I bet we're going to find out. <laughs> a disappearing floor, a huge, savage-looking hound, a galloping ghost, a college professor's startling invention are just a few of the strange elements that complicate the boys' efforts to solve both mysteries. Before Frank and Joe finally discover the mysterious circumstances under which Perth's nephew died and also bring the jewel thieves to justice, the young detectives need all their sleuthing instincts to extricate themselves from one of the most harrowing situations they have ever faced. Well, I think that the gangsters are just like into the theme. Into the theme. They're like, this is a great book we're in. Let's highlight. What if we could make the the floor that we rob a missing floor? And they're like, oh, let's do it. This is so much fun. Time to go to Ace Hardware. This is the most fun heist I have ever been a part of. Right. They're like, and also, like, where did we get all this tear gas? And they're like, well, yeah, there was a sale. We got it in bulk. We have a whole case of it. They're all making like (laughs) invisible floor t-shirts. They're like part of this club now. It's 2019 and everyone gets a podcast. Mine is the Hardy Boys Drink Book. Each week we sit down with creative and hilarious people to talk about a book in the Hardy Boys Mystery Series. Then we mix up a custom cocktail to sip while we read. Today I'm joined by actress Chelsea Ochoa and the cocktail is a little creation of my own. Get in a gem hunting competition with your brother, pretend to be a gangster on a phone call, and take part in the most baffling elevator heist in American history in The Hardy Boys Drink Book number 19, The Disappearing Floor, featuring Chelsea Ochoa. Hey, detectives, welcome to the podcast. I'm here with my friend, uh, actress Chelsea Ochoa. Hello. Chelsea, thank you so much for being here. We are talking about the 19th book in the Hardy Boys mystery series, The Disappearing Floor. Oh, yeah. So before we get started, just a couple of things about the Hardy Boys. Uh, The Hardy Boys mystery series were written by uh, Franklin W. Dixon in the 1920s and 30s. Franklin W. Dixon is better known as the inventor of Fat Camp. He wrote them in the 30s, uh, you know, the 20s through the 40s, and then they were rewritten in the 50s and 60s. To be a little bit shorter, a little less racist, a little, I think maybe just a little bit more consumable for a young audience. And so we're reading those editions. Had you ever read a Hardy Boys book, Chelsea? No. What did you think of your first Hardy Boys book? Well, I think I could look at it with like two different mindsets. Okay. And the part of me that was like totally in on the book, I was like, yeah, let's do this. Like it gets to the end and everything gets wrapped up so perfectly. So perfectly. And like we're in this world where the Hardy Boys are just fucking winners. Yes. They, they're like superheroes. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. They're like living in a fantasy world where if it turned out that this was all a dream, you'd be like, yeah, no crap. Yeah. Like, uh, some of the stuff that they managed to pull off and the ease at which the clues. Well, actually, that's a good way. We can just jump right into the story because the story starts with just immediate action. Like, they're just hanging out and they see a jewel thief. 
Yeah. That's it. That's how the story starts. Well, and in the beginning, I want to point out that there's an illustration. Yes, some great illustrations. Yeah, very exciting. (laughs) This one says, Frank, the room has no floor, which is, you know... Just a very clear, exciting gateway yes. to our to our story. A room with no floor. floor. And I was like, is it a two-story room? Like, maybe it's just a room, you know, like a library, where if you looked in at one level, there might be another level below. <laughs> just like a mezzanine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I've never seen this architecture before. There's no floor. <laughs> very confused. But they've been knocked out for, uh, for hours many times. Yes. Um, yeah, so the way that the story starts the boys are just hanging out and they see a man who they think they recognize from their dad's criminal files mm-hmm. as a jewel thief mm-hmm. and just take off after him yeah boys they're just choice. incredibly lucky yes like every hunch every time he just feels like looking around the corner yeah or maybe i'll just open this book everything just it's yeah it's all place. there it's i so always think of it as the the scooby-doo thing where there's all these books that are all the same color and there's one book on the bookshelf that's a different color and you know that's the one they're going to walk up and grab because yeah. like it's the only one that stands out that's how that's the world they must it's live like in. the criminals are just generously obvious yes um they it's good that they follow this person though and he immediately gives up the like gives up the ruse that he's not a criminal by throwing a tear gas grenade at them right away which like if I thought I was being followed, it would take me a couple minutes to be like, all right, I'm going to tear gas these guys. Cause like the use of tear gas in general. Like, yeah. Is, is, this is like a really common thing. There are, there's all these like clouds of like disorienting smoke that doesn't really hurt the Hardy boys that no. throw it at them. I know. Like somebody just like kill them already. Yes. You oh, know, like, so many times they're tied up and you know, they're like, if anybody finds out that we have these boys, we're all going to be screwed. And they're like, well, what should we do about it? And they're like, Let's leave them in this locked room to starve yeah. to death. And you're like, well, then you're gonna, you're killing them anyway. You've already agreed that you're gonna murder them by letting them starve to death. Think long term. So just like, you know, pop, pop. No more yeah. Hardy Boys. They probably survive. And then they just have horrible. They're like, oh, my mother gave me this locket that <laughs> blocked the bullet perfectly. Perfectly. Um, they run into their, uh, chunky, round faced youth, uh, oh of a friend, God. Chet Morton. Uh, what did you think of Chet? Chet? Because people I, I love feel Chet. for that boy. I yes. mean, when I imagine Chet, I imagine him just constantly having, I don't know what these things are called, but it's like an exercise band that goes around your belly and yeah. just jiggles you all the time. Yes, and definitely. I just imagine him like constantly jiggling uh, because what he is is a fat kid and nothing more and nothing less. No, that That's all is, he is to them. He's their faithful fat friend. Yeah. Um, and like also the most obvious sign that these boys these hardy boys are terribly insecure yes like they, you literally just keep this kid around and make fun of them all the i time. love yeah that they're that the only friends that we see in this book are their fat friend and their italian friend yeah <laughs> and they're like yeah we're not worried about our, our italian friend with the napoli with the boat named the napoli um but chet has a strange story he he was out in the woods looking for rocks and he fell asleep and when he woke up he found this weird tiled section of the forest floor that has these like dragons and these uh sort of ornamental designs on it. And then he heard a ghost. I don't think he sees a, a ghost. He hears a spook. Yeah, which I um, love that word. Yes. And uh, a wailing, a wail from a spook. And he, he ran away and he takes the boys back to where he uh, found this like tile section. Show some courage. Yes, his part. absolutely. And when they get back there, they don't find the tile, but they do find a passed out guy on the ground. Yeah. Um, 
Which they immediately, rather than like, let's go get the police or something, or like, let's haul this guy back to our yeah, car. Yeah, check his pulse. Yeah. Yeah. No, they just... Which, like, you shouldn't move an unconscious person if you don't... That comes up multiple times It does. Well. Where they're like, they knew that it was dangerous to move this <laughs> yeah. past that person. But they were like, well, Gotta do what you gotta do. Gotta do what you gotta do. So, uh... My, I, I wrote most poetic sentence next to this. A hideous scream split the darkness. There are some great sentences. My favorite one is harbored a grudge against humanity. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, which is great. I'm like, a grudge against humanity. That's a That's heavy an thing to harbor. Grudge. Um... So Chet bails at this point um, after they, or let's see, no, first they get the guy in the car and they're taking him home, but he wakes up and then immediately like spazzes out and is like, leave me alone. I don't need your help and runs away into the woods. Yeah. Which they're not as surprised by as I thought they should have been. They're like, oh, weird. And then they go home. Um, Chet leaves. The boys go and see the chief of police who's like their best buddy in this book. Yeah, like in a world where you could just trust the police and they'll just do whatever they'll you want. They'll just do whatever you want. And give you all the information you want. Yeah, and everybody, if there's a law in Bayport where if the Hardy Boys ask you a question, you have to answer them. Right. You can go to like a hotel and be like, who's staying here? And they'll be like, here's a list. I know. <laughs> yeah. No confidentiality. No, not in this world. <laughs> um, so, let's see. They... Um... There's also this line in the first chapter that says... Um, uh, it's talking about Chet, and it says his face contorted into an ugly expression, which apparently is like a really big deal in this world. What? People can make an ugly expression. Yes, and they're like, don't do that, Chet. You look uglier than usual. <laughs> um, they find out that their dad is working a case where some thief is using a method of erasing the guard's memories uh, of when somebody, you know, like before and after the, the, the theft. And Aunt Gertrude is like, they're probably using knockout gas, which is literally what happened in the last book. It's the plot of the last book is thieves were using knockout gas. Well, I think that's kind of cool that Aunt Gertrude remembers. Yeah, but everyone makes fun of her and is like, yeah, I kind of doubt it, Aunt Gertrude. Yeah, uh, That's on. a little unbelievable. Use your head. Like, that happened last week. Um, but no, they, they don't. Yeah, what did you think of Aunt Gertrude? She's an ostrich in my mind. Yes, she's, she's just a, a big she's bird like, lady. Rat boys, what are you doing? Eat your cookies, boys. Yeah. <laughs> she's the, uh, an awful human, but that makes sense because she's unmarried. Yes, oh. And I, that is how she is described the first time we meet her. We always talk about how the women are usually described as like young and vivacious, lithe and pretty, smart, you know, or it's like, uh, you know, uh, beautiful and intelligent and unmarried yeah unmarried, unmarried says a lot says it all yeah whereas fenton hardy is a tall rugged looking man yes i don't know what uh laura is described as in this particular book their mom she's mostly described as their mom she's the woman who brings them food yes i she, to me she i don't even think it says her first name in this one no it is she's just mrs hardy well her name's laura her name's laura good to know yeah um, in my mind, she is a baby panda that can't take, like, that is just like, beep, boop, ba da ba da ba Yeah, yeah. We, we always, I like to imagine her as, uh, like, very, just valiumed out all the time. <laughs> just like, there's a reason why they're like, hey, mom, we're going to go undercover with a bunch of pirates. And she's like, oh, well, you know, be safe. And they're like, that in and of itself isn't safe. Laura. Yeah, like, show some concern. But she does it. Um, they get a phone call at home with a robbery tip that there's going to be a jewel, a jewel uh, theft somewhere else. And the guy is so rude that you know it's fake. Because he's like, hey, dummies, there's going to be a jewel theft at this place. You better not come bust us. <laughs> and they're like, we better go bust them. Um, and so Fenton and his best friend, Sam uh, Radley, 
who they're they're like longtime male companions of each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I you know this is I think the first book, book nineteen, might be the first book where Sam Radley has any lines of dialogue. Usually he's just oh. described as Fenton's friend, who's like. Fenton's like, I'm going to meet up with Sam in Chicago. He's always meeting up with Sam in Chicago. That's very Yeah, convenient. and then he's like, I got to stay an extra weekend down in Gary, Indiana. Uh, Mike, there's a tip we're following up on. Oh, Mr. Hardy. You I know. Scandalous. He's got stuff going on. That um, tall, rugged-looking man. Chet and the boys go back out to the woods, and they find the jewel thief again, the guy they chased at the very beginning, uh, Noel Strang. Um, and he holds them, at, I guess... You can't say gunpoint. He holds them at like finger in pocket point mm-hmm. out in the woods, um, and basically tells them to scram. And so they scram, which usually they they'd be like, "We can take him and try to fight a guy with a gun," but they don't. Um, well, he is a tall, hawk-faced man with a thin, prominent nose. He is. He is hawk-faced. I wonder. So you know. I wonder if there was. A lot of times the characters are minorities and they're yeah. described in very vague terms like swarthy is used a lot, but hook nosed is used a lot. Hawk nose is, has not been used so much. And I think that that might be original to the book, but yeah, we get a lot of hook nosed swarthy bad guys that you're like, Oh God, it's like old Looney Tunes or something. Yeah. Um, All the good guys are pretty. Yes. That's how you know. <laughs> um, Frank, so they, they realize that Frank left his pocket knife at the yeah the day before and, and you're like ooh that's going to come in handy later yes but also like one frank should be smarter than that like why is he why was he not paying attention to it's a pocket knife that has frank's name carved into it what did frank use to carve his name into a pocket knife what you never seen a pocket knife that has somebody's name engraved on it right but that's like, like I just imagine him with a pocket, like with his pocket knife, being like, "How am I going to?" He's just like trying to make it reach, <laughs> trying to carve itself. Um, but yeah, so the dummy realizes that he left. That they know that they were snooping around this like area where Chet found the tile. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't really matter because everybody knows the Hardy Boys anyway, like on site. Yeah. So it doesn't matter that they left there. I think that that's kind of a that doesn't matter at all. It is interesting when we learn about Chet and Iola. So, or not Chet and Iola, uh, Callie and Iola. That's the like sisters. right after this. Uh-huh. And they, they found some jewels, I guess. Yeah. Um, they were just out walking around looking for cool rocks in competition with Chet. Right. What? Like, uh, I can't believe Callie is so, well, one patient of her brother, who's obviously lame. But he's very capable. I just imagine him just like rolling down the hill on this like ball of large rock. Oh Um, god! Also, like these two girls are dating Frank and Joe, and then Chet's also just there. Like he's constantly the fifth wheel. You know what, Chet? You're gonna grow up. You're gonna get out of this awkward thing. No, you're gonna leave Bayport. Yeah. Um, you're gonna and you're either gonna become a serial killer or or a very successful, yeah, very successful inventor or something. Um, which is just a job you can have now in this world. Oh, definitely. Inventor. The girls' eyes sparkled with excitement when they found the rock. Yes, but they were like too high or something to remember where they found a freaking amethyst. (laughs) They're like, I don't know. We just got home. We were like, hey, one of these is a gem. Yeah. They're like, you didn't notice that at the moment when you picked it up? I mean, yeah. And ultimately, their function in the story is just to be the people that have a problem to solve. Yes. They don't do much else. We are here to present a problem. Goodbye. Thanks, Hardys. Um, (laughs) 
while they're talking about this jewel and looking at this amethyst, they find the the Chet family farm or their barn is on fire. Yeah. Just- and then the mom is like, what do I do? Do I call the police? And I'm like, you're an adult in the room, ma'am. Like, exactly. Also, <laughs> control. This is your farm. Yeah. Like, you should know, oh, God, there's an oil fire in the barn. Here's the things we do. Right. Um, but she just panics. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then when they get the... They get the fire put out. They come back inside and the amethyst has obviously been stolen because that was a distraction. Mm-hmm. This, there's a lot of weird stuff with phones in this book where like Mrs. Hardy calls the Chet farm to let them know that Tony called to try to find them rather yeah. than Tony just call, have her being like, they're at the Chet, they're at the Morton farm, call there. So right. there's this weird like circle. So then the boys are like, oh, well, let's go find Tony. And they go down to the beach and are like, let's take our boat out to look for Tony in the Atlantic Ocean. (laughs) That's a good point. Yeah. And then Tony shows up at the Morton farm and is like, oh, no, the Hardy Boys went down to the boatyard. There's a bomb on their boat. Which he should have left that in the message. That's pretty pretty important. He should have left a message with Laura Hardy that like, oh, hey, if you see the boys, let them know. There's a bomb on their boat. Right. Also, these 17-year-olds have a have a speedboat. Yeah. And like a the, convertible. Oh my god. Yeah. They're so slick and so smooth and so rich. And like this is I think why they I don't know. I mean, they have this like fat friend around that they could just make fun of, but I just feel like if anybody ever came along in their life and like put them in their place, Who they would just that? Or fall like, apart. I think that the ultimate arch nemesis to the Hardy Boys, the only people who could ever count as a nemesis would be if they met better boy detectives. Also like there's just bombs around. Yes. Like, that's a huge deal. Everything, yeah, everything is just rigged with explosives yeah. all the time throughout this book. It's a very strange world and a dangerous world to live in. Though, so don't yes, worry. everyone's insured and no injury us. is fatal. Yes. Yes. They do remind us several times. They're like, the plane's insured. Yeah. Don't worry about it. So let's see. After the, oh, yes, so there's, there's this giant boat explosion, but the boys are fine. It does not hurt them. Amazing. Amazing. The Coast Guard shows I just shows feel like up. the Hardy Boys are are real humans. Yeah. And the rest of the world is made out of origami. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they can just, like, manipulate rip, everything very easily. They can easily. rip a door off of a building. Yeah. They can, uh, yeah, can hurt they them. can just leap clear of an explosion. The, the Coast Guard is like, we don't think this was an accident. It was attempted murder, which, yeah. <laughs> Obviously. They're, they're Hardy Boys. He should be the star of this book. I know. What a detective. <laughs> They they ask about the mansion because there's an old spooky mansion out where Chet uh, where they found that passed out guy where Chet um, found the tile on the floor, and Aunt Gertrude knows knows everything about the Perth mansion. Um, yeah, she is full of information, very helpful, which is great. She's a very nosy person, and she has no husband. So what else is she? What else do? she can do but know everything about town? Mm-hmm. So they find out that it's a house and like that old Mister Perth died. And his ghost is supposedly haunting the place, and she doesn't know anything else until later when they ask her more, and she does. Yeah, um, that's true. <laughs> but she, that's all the information she has right now. They they find out that Callie and Iola, there was another person in the gem store when they took the amethyst there. So that's probably the person who stole it from them. And they use their facial identification kit to put together yeah. an example of what the guy looks like. Which is apparently transparencies. 
Oh, cool. Is, yeah. That's what it kind of looked like, like a projector, like an old slide projector, and then like, here's a bunch of different mustaches. Yeah, here's like a slide the eyeballs closer together, farther yeah, apart. Like, which is a pretty cool idea, and I never, you know, they use some pretty cool and some really weird inventions and yeah. crime-solving techniques. But like, I'm about those gadgets. Yes, that, the gadgets are my favorite part. the book pop. Um, they realize that the dude that they found passed out in the woods is the same guy that probably stole the amethyst. Um, they go back to the jewel shop and, or they go to the gem shop and then Joe just like sees that there's somebody hiding in the back and does not play it cool at all. Oh my God. No. He just charges in there and gets knocked out. He believes in himself. He does. Hardcore. Um, but I like, so usually when they get knocked out, they like leap back to their feet and they're like, I'm going to show him who's boss. But in this one, Joe goes home and curls up in a ball and watches TV for a while, which that's nice. That makes sense to me. Yeah. That I can relate to. Yeah. At this point, Frank has been finding out about the mansion, and he finds out that uh, Old Man Perth's nephew moved in, but a few nights after he moved in, the servants came in and found him on the floor with his skull bashed open, which is really gory for Ooh, the Hardy Boys. Yeah. But they use the sticky. term skull bashed open, or skull broken open. I can't remember what the exact uh, phrase they used. <laughs> Let's see. They, they, and he whispered the floor before he died. Very yes. Good. Which, good thing he had last words. Like, he hung on long enough to say any last words. You, I assume most That's people lazy. don't... I mean, I guess everyone has last words. It's just how long they happen before you die. That's true. Because... I mean, it, the moment could have used a death rattle. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure it had a death rattle. I hope so. They go back out there. Oh, they decide, like, very clearly that they're going to go break and enter into this mansion. They're like, they bring tools and flashlights to just go break into a place that they're not supposed to be. I just love how confident they are that they're going to break into this mansion. Yeah. They're like, they don't have any hesitation. They're not like, we're going to see if there's anybody out there who will let us look around. They're like, we're going to go break into this place. Do you have any examples in your real life where you have been like courageously stupid and it worked out like that? I mean, worked out. No, I didn't find, you know, treasure. Yeah. But, like, I didn't get in trouble. Sure. But never where I've been, like, I mean, I, I guess, yeah, I guess where you're, like, we're just going to go out to this place we know we're not supposed to be in and we're going to go in there anyway. But yeah. it's not when we think that there's jewel thieves. No, 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 no. It's, like, much more every day. Yeah, like, we're going to jump this fence. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or something. It's not so much, like, we're going to jump this fence where the mob is meeting. Right. Which is what these boys do. I've been doing a lot of trying to get on rooftops this summer. Awesome. Sneaking around through alleyways. Yeah. And seeing what I can climb places. on top of. It's a lot of fun. Yes. And I would say it's like a 1 in 15, 1 in 20 success rate. Yeah. Okay. Of like the amount of times that you actually attempt. And there are some roofs that are like not as well guarded as you would think. <laughs> so I feel like in my own way, I'm like a hardy boy. Yeah, know? absolutely. But again... You didn't Not know there were jewel thieves up there. Yeah. Yeah. Just like uh, people sleeping in the alleys. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fun. These, so they, they see this like ferocious dog that has glowing eyes yeah. and it snarls at them and they go to leave and then they're like, wait, no, we'll all be a moldy dog biscuit, he gasped. The hound yeah. sure looks real enough to bite your head off. So they have like Halloween style scary animatronics outside of this haunted so, house. Like, so must have put in like a month of work to build something like that. Yeah. Uh, what an odd choice. They're like, and we'll use like a ghost dog. Yeah. That'll scare them off. You're like, you don't think that'll make people more curious about this place? There's a <laughs> dog with glowing eyes. You kind of get yourself. That's going to get people out here. Same thing with all the ghost stuff. We are like, 
The last thing you want to do is make people think that this place is haunted. You're going to get ghost hunters out here with a bunch of different TV shows being like the old Perth mansion, yeah. you know, and, and the Joel Thieves are going to have to hide down. Well, don't kids are going to think it's a haunted house on Halloween. Yes. Actually, I just got these tickets to like a, a haunted house. And my friend was telling me that he thinks that it is one of the most likely places, like, if someone was going to be a serial killer, oh, yeah. a great place to do it. Sure. There's, I mean, there are multiple episodes of multiple, like, weekly crime shows where a person is murdered in a haunted house. Because yeah. it's like, then there's a dead body in there for a while, and they're like, that dead body body's just part of the haunted house. Exactly. You know, guy running around with a knife. Oh, my God. Yep. All right. Don't go to haunted houses this year. So back to what we're talking about. So they were at this this scary mansion. They find yeah. out that the hound is actually electrically charged too. So if you touch it, you'll get it, you'll get electrocuted. Dude, so fucking cool! I know, it's such a great invention. Yeah. Um, they don't put they don't put things that will electrocute you in haunted houses very often. Or like if you touch this thing, it'll electrocute you. you but should, they should. You should tip your friends off. I right? guess. And they look into the mansion, uh, and they see that they're looking into a room that has no floor. Which I immediately dun, dun, thought like. Dun. Mezzanine, but you're, but yeah, I guess, I guess there's furniture like bolted to the wall that doesn't have a floor under. Yeah. yeah. So, so I guess it is a disappearing floor. Well, we're about a quarter of the way through the book, so let's check in with um, our bingo. Oh, yeah. And see, uh, you can go grab your phone if you need to. Oh, you're all wired up, so um, I'll grab your phone. Is it sitting over there or is it in my purse? It's in my purse. Okay, great. So let's see what things we've gotten so far. Um, One second. Do do do. Man, I'm. I have Fenton Hardy. That's your free. Uh, your free square. So I got that one. I am trespassing. I have trespassing and a ghost. Uh, attempted murder. Oh, definitely. There's that. Uh, the sleuth. Yep, that's their. Yep, the boat that got blown up. Oh, I have that one as well. Awesome. Uh, a trap. I don't think we've had a trap yet. Well, I mean, I would say that the. Uh, the, the dog. I mean, that's more of a booby trap. Yeah, though. it's more of a warning than yeah, a, I guess a that's sneaky true. trap. I'm not going to count an animal because there oh wasn't actually an animal. A swindled old person? Does that come up a lot? It happens a lot that an old person is being tricked or stolen from or being used for a crime. Which, oh uh, there's a little bit of that later. Yeah. Yeah, that, that poor guy. It's true. <laughs> um, yeah, not a lot yet. Mrs. Hardy leaves the house. Oh, come on. That's not going to happen. She and Aunt Gertrude go to a friend's house at one point in this book. I have a big star in it because oh. it so rarely happens. Where they're like, uh, Mrs. Hardy and Aunt Gertrude were at a friend's house. And I was like, what? Oh, my God. That's right. Yeah. I was very happy I'm for so her. Glad she I'm always happy friends. when she gets out of the house. One time she went to a movie. I was, it was Good like, I was thrilled. Yeah. yeah. Respectful use of Spanish. <laughs> It happens, so it happens more than you'd think when There's, the Hardy Boys speak Spanish very clearly and, and not in a way that's like, you know, me llamo Joe. Right. Um, it's, it's, they, they speak fluent Spanish and they use their Spanish when necessary, which is weird. It does come up later as well. That's right. They mm -hmm. do. Yeah. I think it's inaccurate. But I it's think okay. it's inaccurate as well. We'll get to that. Um, let's see. So let's move into, into chapter six. Um, the boys, they find a, a coin, like a, um, yeah, like a token mm -hmm. out at the house. And I guess it matches the pattern on the tile from right or something. It's mm -hmm. a, I, I, th those coins didn't mean anything in the book. Do, do they? They kind of get revealed in the end as to who dropped it. As to who dropped it, sure. Yeah. But 
We already knew that guy was around, so or anyway. Yeah, it doesn't really doesn't really add to the story. They find this ghost, or they they see the ghost moving around. Right. And uh, I wrote, I'm going to run full speed towards something that is potentially dangerous, said the person that has never experienced harm. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, I don't know. If I saw a ghost floating around, I might I might try to tackle it. Just to Good be like, you. you know, you're like, well, let's see what it really is. Yeah. You know? And if it pulls me to hell, then I've learned something, you know. Right. Uh, Gilo. It turns out that Fenton, that obvious trick phone call was obviously a trick, is a trick. And Fenton is not actually, there was no jewel th- uh, theft, but there was a jewel robbery somewhere else. This again also happened last book. They were like, there's going to be a robbery at this museum and Fenton flies there and then they rob a different museum because mm-hmm. they know Fenton is at the one that they called about. And Fenton keeps falling for this. Oh yeah. So they find out that, uh, there's been another robbery and they decide they're going to go do some more investigating. So they go to invest to do some airport uh, to see who floated, who flew to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Basically, if anybody flew to Chicago, they're the jewel thief is what they what they've decided since that were where the robbery was. Yeah, they make a lot of brash assumptions throughout the entire And they all pan out. Yeah. Joe says things like, I'll buy that. And then yeah. to be the truth. <laughs> sure. I'll buy that. If it's plausible, then it's what happened. Yeah. Um, they talk to their friend. Oh no, that's that's the thing. Is they they talk to a skycap, and they're asking questions around. But I just love that they ask where they can find out about charter flights and and any just like flight lists. And the newspaper stand attendant says, "Go check in at the control tower. The yeah. control tower is the place where they would be able to give you that information." Right. So they walk over to the control tower, and I was like, "Are they just going to walk up the control tower and be like, hey, cool, and we're going to learn a lot about that?'" But instead, they just run into their friend who's the pilot. And he's like, I'll go to the control tower for you. Right. Yeah. But you know that they would have let them in. Yeah. They could have just cruised up there. And they would have just been like, you know who our father is. They uh, they see a guy named Duke Macon. Who, and they're like, and Great. Sam Radley is at the airport for some reason. I think he came with them. Mm-hmm. Anyway, when they see Duke Macon, Joe is like the racketeer and con man. The famous yeah. Duke Macon. Right, and he's I'm a like, legend. How does Joe know all these? Like, they must have photographic memories on some level because they recognize anyone that they've seen in their dad's criminal files. Right. Well, this guy seems particularly famous. Like, it's like the Wild West. Yeah, absolutely. Where they're like, uh, you know, uh, Billy the Kid. Yeah. Like the famous Billy the Kid. But Sam's sleuthing instincts were aroused, which I really love. <laughs> it becomes aroused by seeing this man. And they go to follow him, but then they see the the sports car that they fought chased at the beginning, like, take off. And they go chasing that, and they don't catch that either. Um, they do a lot of, like, false start yeah. chases, where yeah. they chase somebody, but they don't catch them. I know, person. and I was, like, very happy with that, too. I was like, yay, failure! Yes, failure is good. It's yeah. relatable. So let's see, they find out about this guy named Harif. He's the person who flew to Chicago. Jack Wayne agrees to go undercover, kind of, with the criminals and try to become friends with them. Yeah, who wouldn't want that job? That's the funnest part. I know, where he's like, maybe I could get in tight with these criminals and uh, learn know. some stuff for you. And you're like, you just want to be part of the adventure, I Jack. know. Like, you just want to put on the fake hats. Fendi goes to Chicago. Um, they go talk to a real estate agent, and they find out that a guy whose initials are D.M., Delius Martin, and they're like, that must be Duke Macon, because the criminals are so dumb that they only use aliases that have the same initials. Because they're like, he he he, this is my own little Easter egg. The one that I get for aliases is when you use an alias where you have the same first name. Where like instead of being like that happens on Unsolved Mysteries all the time. Where oh, like, yeah. you know, like 
Thomas Clark becomes Thomas Smith. Right. Because people are like, hey, Tom, you're like, what? Oh, that's not my name. Right. You know, so that's dead giveaway. That's smart. Um, And then the boys just decide to go for a swim. They decide to take a break Mm -hmm. from the adventure and go for a swim. But the adventure never stops because there's frogmen under the water. Watch out. Uh, Did you follow any of that? Like where the frogman came from who tries to drown No, Joe. I totally forgot about that. That doesn't wrap up in the end at all. Yeah, Joe goes swimming and then all of a sudden... It has to be like one of the, the gang guys. I guess. There's, there's like a dude like, under the water with goggles and... Like, there's this dude we learned about at the very end. We learned that his name is Moose. Oh, yeah. It cool was... name. Like, what's your story, Moose? Yeah, Moose got cut out of this Maybe book. Moose was the frog guy. I guess. Because there's all these little, like, gangsters running around. That's true. There's a lot of gangsters in Bayport. Yeah. I do think that um, the point of this, him being, like, attempted murdered under the water, is so that they can see the boat that the frogman was in and follow that later. Right. That's the narrative reason why, where they're like, yeah. oh, that boat, that must have belonged to him. Now we know what boat we're looking for. But also, like, we later find out that they have this stun gun thing. Right. He could okay. have pulled that out earlier. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Okay, we're going to talk a lot more about the the stun gun thing later. The ray gun. There's a little yeah. ray gun in this book. I know. Very cool. Very 1960s. Very exciting. Um, so Joe survives his drowning just fine. Um, Frank rescues him, and then they call the ambulance, but Joe refuses to get into it. Um, and the ambulance guy, the driver, is like, thinks it's pretty hilarious. He grins at him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, I can't make it come to the hospital. I'm like, I'm pretty sure you could. I'm pretty sure you could, like, restrain this kid and take him to the hospital. Who's going to yeah. stop you? He's a minor. It's the 50s. Right. You know what I mean? Like, take him to the hospital. Bill his family for the ambulance ride. Right, exactly. And, like, why don't you want to go to the hospital just in case you have health insurance? No. He's, there's, a, there's a mystery on. Oh, gosh. Um, Chet and, uh, let's see, Iola pulls up in a car, which I was like, hey, Iola's driving. Yeah. Um, so she drives up and tells them that she and Chet and Callie were out in the woods looking for more amethysts when um, they realized somebody was following them. And so Cal- or Iola like snuck away to drive back and get the Hardy Boys. Um, and when they show up to see if that guy's still out there, he's, he's uh, taken off. And I really love the sentence, Chet's moon face sagged. Oh, my God. Oh, he's so sad. His moon face is sagging. Uh, yeah, I just want to jiggle his face. I know. They, um, so they, like, that's just no lead. They basically go out there, realize that this guy's still looking for amethysts. Yeah. Well, it's also, like, they kind of have this, like, Pee Wee's Big Adventure style thing going on where they have this, like, adult-like autonomy while Mm -hmm. having childlike... Yes. behavior right like your kids but like you can act like adults in the world and do anything and everyone will talk to you and answer yeah. your questions nobody treats them like children right but they act like children right um they they follow a lead they go to talk to a cab driver uh who again is just perfectly willing to answer any questions mm-hmm. they have the boys get a call from the jeweler saying that a guy showed up trying to sell more amethyst they go down that he was he showed up in a cab so they go talk to a cab driver and yeah. it's like He's Where like, did that guy go? And he's like, well, the other cab driver's going to come back. And the other cab driver who gave the guy the ride comes back. And he will be sure to talk to you and give yeah. you all information. They go out to where the guy got dropped off in the woods. And they see the boat that the frogman was in. But another gas grenade gets thrown at them. Yes. They get gassed again. 
Um, they're fine. And I think they just, what, they just get roughed up? Yeah. They're just like disoriented. And, yeah. And then, know. and then they go home again. Like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> At this point, they just keep going out to this mansion or going out to the woods, getting tear gas, and then going home again. <laughs> and they're like, okay, try again tomorrow. Yeah, they don't give up. They find out about the um, the professor, uh, who is apparently the guy who's living at the mansion, the person who who owns the house. Wait, or... hang on. So, are we we're in Secret Cruiser chapter? Secret Cruiser, yes. Yeah. Some pranks are in the boat down there through a tear gas grenade. <laughs> That's right, because they, they run away. Once they get tear gas, they run away, and they come across this family that's picnicking. Yeah! And they're like, what the hell's wrong with you? And they're like, some pranks are through a tear gas grenade. And you're like, you think that the dad of the family is going to be like, I'm sorry, a prankster through a tear <laughs> gas grenade? I know. Are you always in some trouble? Like, Right, like, this is very concerning. And they're like, uh, should we call the police? And they're like, no, 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 we'll call the police. Yeah. Later. Like, we are the police, basically. <laughs> Don't you know who we are? Don't and, you know who our dad is? And then they just drive home glum. Like, you think they would drive home being like, holy shit! We are just No, stacked. they've had way more exciting yeah. experiences. Um, so, yeah, they find out that this professor who's living in the mansion, or, or who is missing or something. I don't remember how they know about the professor, Aiden Darrow. Um... They talk to the uni- the, a guy from the university, and he talks about this professor who mysteriously disappeared. Right. And who developed a grudge when they wouldn't fund his research anymore. I was like, oh, he's a bad guy. Yeah. He needs the money to fund his research. Right. And then they find out that his that his sister's also looking for this professor. They get mm-hmm. a telegram. Um, yeah, the, pro- I love the professor's sister telegram. is looking for him. Yes. And they're like, we'll also be the mailman of the town and just deliver this message. Yes. At a certain point, they are like... Trying to get a hold of Jack Wayne, the pilot. Yes. And they like try to like be like, come in, Jack Wayne, and they're listening on the radio, and all they hear is, if the tigers bite, amethyst. Amethyst. (laughs) So dramatic. I know. It sounds like uh, the name of an awesome 80s like album. Yes. It's called like Tigers Bite Amethyst. Right. Um, It's beautiful. So I know this won't mean anything to you because you're not, you haven't read uh, Hardy Boys before, but Chet famously has a yellow jalopy called the Queen. It oh. appears prominently in the first several books. It's a very cool car and it's like in the illustrations and everything. So it broke my heart to read that Chet showed up in his red jalopy. And I was like, where's the Queen? Where's his famous car that has a name? What? Yeah, so they just forgot about Chet's awesome car, I guess. It must have been, like, some new employee right yeah, in this chapter? I have no idea. Franklin oh W. Dixon God. just had a lapse in memory um, about his awesome car. But he comes over for dinner, and um, they decide they're going to take this telegram from the professor's sister just up to the Perth mansion and be like, Hi, is the professor here? Um, even though they've been electrocuted and tear gassed for going out there before. Yeah. I wanted to... But, like, people tell them things. Maybe it'll work out, you know? Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, And also, they're trying to figure out this tiger thing, and they say, in Spanish, the jaguar is called tigre. tigre. I don't think that that's true. I'm not sure. I don't think so. You would know more than I would. Yeah. Um, What would would jaguar be in Spanish? It's jaguar. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure that's a Spanish word. Yeah, Uh, it's Portuguese word. Oh, okay. But they use the same word in Spanish. Okay. Yeah, well, you think they would. (laughs) Um, When they're out in the woods, 
there's the ghost. They see the ghost again, or they hear the ghostly wail, and then Joe just yeah. falls through the ground. Yeah, um, or he disappears. They right. don't know. He's turned around and he's gone. And he's gone. And then the next chapter, immediately, he's like, "I'm down here." Right. I know it's too bad because if Chet would have fallen first, he would have just bounced off the ground. Boy, and then boy, came yeah, right back, back up. up and been like, "Hey guys, there's a tunnel down there." Whoa. <laughs> He would have fallen again. The pursuit circled and zigzagged about the mansion grounds. Chet soon lost all fear. Yes, go Chet, as he became convinced that the fleeing specter was only flesh and blood. He joined in the chase with zest, his sturdy legs pumping as if he were pursuing a rival team's ball carrier on the Bayport High School football field. Frank was in the lead, with the other two boys on either side searching swiftly among the trees. Joe, can you see him? Frank called back. I think he went that way. There was no answer. Frank glanced over his shoulder, then gasped. Joe had disappeared. Yes, I love that. That's I, so great. I love Chet being like, oh! Yeah! Just, like, uh, just tearing into it. They, also, are ball carriers real? Well, I, you know, you think they'd be like, it seems like the, um, like a person who doesn't, um, know anything about football. That's what I was thinking. I was like, like, that like, sounds like a word ball, that I would yeah, say. Yeah, that'd be like, and the ball carrier <laughs> right. who has the ball. Yeah, they'd be like tight end or whatever. I don't right. know. You know, yeah. wide receiver. Like the man who does the kick kicks. The kicker man. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So they they find out that Joe has fallen through where the um, tile floor was. It's trapdoor, which I kind yeah. of guessed right away that mm-hmm. it was covering something. And underneath it is a tunnel. And so they go into this tunnel well, first they agree one of them should stay outside alone in the woods, and the other two should go into the tunnel to the building where the criminals are. Yeah. Well. <laughs> so. They, I just, I kept waiting for them to, like, find jewels in that tunnel. I know. Oh, I was waiting it takes a and while. waiting and waiting. They keep um, going in the tunnel and coming yes. back out. Uh, they accidentally knock a phone that's in the tunnel off the hook, and yeah. immediately they realize that there's somebody who's like, hello? Hello? Who's there? And so they try to pretend to be... The criminal and the guy on the other side is like, is that you, Waxy? Because Waxy is apparently the name of one of the criminals. Yeah. Um, and Criminals have great names. And they're like, what, you know, we, we, we need orders. And he's like, your orders? We just told you what your orders were. You're supposed to, hey, wait a minute. Yeah. You're not Waxy. <laughs> um, the boss gave you all the dope about the disappearing floor and the... Wait a minute, what's going on here? Who is this? Which I love that one of the criminals is so stupid that they were like, he probably did forget his orders. For a second. Yeah. They don't get any information. They Sometimes just run home, right? when I read this, I just feel like at some level, everybody knows they're in the book. Yes. Or that this is all some... Did you ever read uh, or see a movie called The Brothers Bloom? Oh, yeah. It's like one of those where all of this adventure movie. is just an elaborate... Like ruse, it's right. all these are all actors, and it's an elaborate mm-hmm. performance with these crazy set pieces, and it's just Fenton being like, "All right, guys," and then they're going to show up at the mansion, and I want you to be like, "Scram, boys!" And then uh, you know, and then we'll yeah. try to lead them. I'll be there dressed as a ghost, right? And right. they'll chase me, and we'll try to lead them to that tunnel. Oh my god, yeah, maybe Fenton is like the lead criminal. That, that's what. Well, that's a long running theory in the Hardy Boys drink book is that Fenton is actually a criminal. <sighs> And that he just uses the boys to run interference against other criminals. Yeah, because it does often seem like the Hardy Boys know that they're in a book. Yes. Oh, very much. fearlessness. And there's even a reference where they're like, just like last week in insert title of book. Yes. We did this. The boys eat a meal. Uh, so this, uh, page 92, a mm-hmm. note 
pop, uh, propped up on the dining room table, explained that their mother and Aunt Gertrude had gone to visit a neighbor down the street. Wow. They went all the way down all the street. All the way down the street. Good for so them. So the boys get apples and milk from the refrigerator and eat that as a snack. And I think that sounds like a gross combo. Apples and milk. I feel like some, like, people behind this that are like, the Nutrition Alliance of America. Yes. Slipping some money to the Hardy Boys Foundation being like, tell people to eat apples and milk. And, like, later they don't even eat pie a la mode. They run out of the house before they can, leaving on right. Gertrude sputtering. Uh, yeah. Well, they don't want to end up like Chet. Oh, my God. Right. Can't believe you said that. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh. They got, they, let's see, they... Also, this door, is obviously before compost was a thing. Yes. That's okay. We'll let that That's go. That's okay. They didn't know. It was a different time. Yeah, it was a different time. They find out that they get another tip that the Haley yeah. building has been robbed. And I want to say that I'm really happy with the way that the anonymous tip plays out later. Yes. The anonymous it, tip. It makes sense. It does make sense. It, for how little this book makes sense. That yeah. does make sense. Well, let's check back in with, with our... Um, with Ooh. our bingo and see if we've made any more progress there. I don't I don't know if I will have. Diving. Yep, I've got diving. Great. Well, yeah, okay. No gunfight. No gunfight. No horse gun chases. Yeah, <laughs> horse chase would be cool though. Um red herring. Maybe later. Maybe. Though I guess the tip, the fake tip that Fenton got was a red herring. Yeah. He, yeah, so we can we can count That's that. True. Mrs. Hardy leaves the house. She did. Yes. A plane ride where nothing bad happens. No, that's not going to happen. They they go to check out this robbery at the Haley building. And I found this very obvious what had happened, but they act like it's a tremendous mystery. Basically, they find out that a delivery guy came with a parcel of diamonds to deliver to a diamond merchant. The security guard took him up to the level. He went to the office. He dropped them off. He came back and he took him downstairs. Then the, the gemologist comes down and he's like, I never got that package. Nobody ever came up to my office. And the security guard's like, yeah, I did. I went to the fifth floor. Or I went to the sixth floor, whatever it is. Fifth floor. Yeah, I went to the fifth floor where your office was. The guy got out. He got back on. He came down. Right. And then they get the the messenger back later. Yeah. And he's, he's like, like, yeah, I delivered the package. We went up there. Let's go up to the fifth floor. And they go up to the fifth floor and he's like, this floor is weirdly different. Yeah. And then and he you're sees, not the guy. You're not the guy. And I'm like, well, because you went to a different floor, dum-dum. Right. Um, or maybe a different building. But if this was the same security guard, chances are you went to a different floor than you thought. Right. The only thing I was confused about is, why is the security guard in on this? Because, like... But then he also says he has a gap in memory. But I really love when they ask him if he has any gaps in memory. He's like, I don't remember. Wait, now that you think of, now that I think of it. Yeah, like, why does that emerge later? I do have gaps in my like, memory. Like, he didn't seem like it was concerning to him that, like, you know, if you work a shift of your job. And they're like, for four minutes, I have no memory of what happened. That would be a little concerning. What, what did he do when he came to? Yeah, yeah exactly. He jerked awake and was like, oh, I must have dozed off yeah. standing up at my job. Weird. And the, I'd go to the doctor if yeah. that happened to me twice in one day. Yeah. Um, that I blanked out for several minutes. Yeah, I think it was like 20 minutes. <laughs> oh my god. And like, can we say what happens? Sure. So so he gets shocked by this like laser gun. Ray gun. Ray yeah. gun thing. And also like, just shock the motherfucker with the jewels and take the jewels. <laughs> I know. Like these people are just so like yeah. artistic the, about the why they're committing The theatrical way of doing it. You, yeah, you... You find out that the guy's delivering the jewels. You get him as he's leaving, like, the cab on his way to the building. 
Yeah. You just zap him and take so the jewels. So simple. And, and then he'll be like, I don't remember what happened. And they'll throw him in jail and he'll probably right. spend the rest of his life there. It's like if you have, I imagine like an artist with like some like dot on a painting in an art <laughs> museum. And they're like, yeah, but I did this with like a very like... By smashing little eggshells and placing them one by one. And I'm yeah, like, it's almost a, like a fucking die. Yeah, it's just a die. You yeah. could have done that with what's just a paintbrush. Right. So it's you're, you're the dummy. And we're <laughs> the dummies for looking at this. They, okay, they find, after they investigate this, and the police decide they're going to give a lie detector test to all three, the guard, the gemologist, and the delivery guy. Yeah, Even though, I also really wanted to see that scene. I know. Like, that would have been a really cool, like, I don't know, I just want to know more about these characters, too. Like, yes, what are they thinking? Characters. How are they feeling? There are, no, we don't It's all action. That. We don't even get told what they're wearing. You think we're going to get told what they're, like, thinking? Yeah, or, like, how they relate to each other yeah. is hardly even It's there. a small town, that's the thing, is that, like, if this was a Stephen King story, the messenger who delivered this would be like the son of one of the police lieutenants. You know right. what I mean? And there would be some sort of connection there where you're like, are the police covering this up? Or, you know, there'd be these layers of connection or like, yeah. they knew the gemologist yeah. was on, was like, uh, was on the up and up because he had lived in the town for like 30 years and played bridge with Mr. Hardy or whatever. Like right. give the characters some background. So you know why characters should be trusted or like he had been in town for two weeks and wouldn't talk to anybody. Uh, you know, everyone in town was aware that he was like, that there was something up with this guy. That makes you know something about this character. But instead, they're just like, his name was Muggsy. Yeah. You know? Like, that says a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The only person who really knows the details of, like, who these, like, is paying attention to the humanity of these people is, is Gertrude. Gertrude. Yeah, she, who seems to know everyone in town and how they're related to each yeah. other. Their nieces and nephews, all that stuff. Um, which is great. She needs something to do. Yeah. Um, the, Keeping through the blinds all the time. They decide... Now, what is it? They they decide that Tiger's Bite might actually be a place. Which is, like, a huge leap. Well, Chet's like, I always have trouble tying a rope on a bite, which is, um, I guess, a line, you know. Like, yeah. Um, but they're like, but it could also be the name of a place. Ding, ding, ding. Maybe it's a place. Let's go ask Clams Daggett. Great name. Best name in the book. Why did we get more of Clams? I know. I love that guy. Clams is apparently a fairy. He, he runs a fairy or a fisherman. He's a retired ferryman. Yeah. Smoking who, his pipe. Who hangs out around the airport, it seems like. Or maybe down by the docks. I think they need him down, down by, by the docks. docks. Yeah. And his name is Clams Daggett. And they're like, do you know where Tiger's Bite is? And he's like, yep, absolutely I do. It's exactly in this place, this yeah. many miles south of us. Show you a map. Yep. <laughs> Very helpful. I know. Like, he did provide so much information, but, like, I want to know the story of how he got his name. I know. Clams yeah. Daggett. And he's like, oh, like clams. Yeah. <laughs> Probably just like him so much. Yeah. Talk about him all the time. The, um... They go to the airport, and I really like this moment where Frank... It's Mr. Harriff, the guy who they were like think they, he flew to Chicago and he might be involved in the jewel test. Mm, yeah, yeah. But rather than like try to be sneaky or try to um, watch him to see if he does anything suspicious, they just obviously photograph him and then illegally assault him. <laughs> yeah. I love that. They like, they take a picture of them they, and like, he's like... They go up in his place. Too, yeah, they get a picture. They, they take a photo of him and then when he's like, you kids get out of here, Frank puts him in a judo hold and flips him over and he's like, I'm going to call the police, which he should. Yeah. And they're like, fine, maybe we'll talk to the police about Tiger's bite. Yeah. And then he just like totally gives up the goat. He's just like, oh, uh, sorry, boys. I didn't realize uh, I just uh, was a little startled. Yeah, thought you were going to rob here. me because yeah. you came in here and beat me up. 
Right. <laughs> My bad. Don't call the... I, no, cops don't need to come. And they're like, all right, if the cops, if you change your mind, we'll be down at this at the seashore talking to Clams Daggett. See, like, I feel like this could be the moment where the Hardy Boys start to turn dark. To, yeah. Where you they're know? like, let's just beat the crap out of this guy. I'm tired of waiting for this mystery. Yeah. And, and they're probably slowly starting to think at this point, like... I would be a better criminal than these criminals. Yes. Like, I'm so much smarter than them. I know all these crime yeah. tactics. You wonder if they're being groomed by their father when he's really good at it. Right. But it's, that's a tricky proposition because he's put all these highfalutin ideas of morality in their head. So maybe when he tries to turn them, it's got to be a gradual turn. But, like, the best criminals are have that mindset. Yes, of where they're like, the I'm guys. actually doing the good thing. We're robbing from the man mm-hmm. to give to the, to the you know, the poor person. Mm-hmm. Well, mostly to us, but also a little bit to the poor person. Yeah. Well, I'm the poor person. All to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And also, like, they'll know, like, how the cops act and everything. They'll be so yes, the, set. Uh, they know I can't wait. I want to read those stories about the Hardy Boys crime novels. Yeah. Like, they're the criminals. Three-fingered Hardy Boys. Three-fingered, scarred-up, broken-nosed Hardy Boys. They show their hand. They, they, so they make it clear that they know about Tiger's Bite. Yeah, and then they're like, we're going over here. <laughs> yeah. And then when they, they go to, let's see, yeah, they go talk to Clams, and when they get done talking to Clams, they realize that their car is being rifled through by a guy who has who's digging through the glove box. Yeah. They get in a car chase. Get they, they throw, like, Inspector Gadget-style tacks out of the back of right. their car. It's like um, something out of Wacky Races or, like, the Little Rascals movie where they're racing and they're, like, all, like, using tricks on each other. Yeah, totally. Um, it's like throwing a banana peel out. And then when they get out of their car, to because the tire is flat, they get attacked by three men in gas masks who gas them. <laughs> <laughs> like, all the Hardy Boys need is just a gas mask that they carry with them at this point. They gas like, five times so far, and they don't, they don't know that they need to have even just a wet handkerchief. Yeah, them. just be ready. Um, but they get, they get, uh, Also, like, up. go to the gas salesman, maybe. Right, and be like, hey, Who's stop us? selling tear gas in our town. <laughs> the police should have tabs on the tear gas salesman. Yeah, totally. Um, they uh, they get mugged and they get their camera taken away. They're like little lapel mm-hmm. camera that they had. But it's okay. It's insured. Everything's insured. Yeah, everything's insured. <laughs> and uh, we find out after. they The bad guys don't like kill the boys or anything. They just rob them and leave. Mm-hmm. And they steal the camera, but Frank or Joe had already taken the film out of the camera and put it in the glove box. Clever Joe. Clever Joe. He had a feeling... That this, that's why he'd be a great criminal, cause he's like, yeah. Oh, they want us to chase them, don't they? Right. I'm gonna take the film out of this camera mm-hmm. real quick. I think it'd be funny if he ruined the film taking out of the camera, like forgot that it was gonna be exposed. Like, I see that happening in real oh, life. Whoops. But not in Hardy Boys. Not in the Hardy Boys. But they also like find each other and then they hold hands and they run away together yes, holding hands. I love me. that. It's very masculine. They don't have any qualms about holding hands yeah. and running. Um, I love the the photo or the illustration. I'm sorry, this is a little past where we are, but what it's page? like 109 um, of Frank just throwing oh the dude my down. God. Um, yeah, he's got him completely in the air and is just like throwing him hard on his back. You know, it's going to knock the wind out of him. Oh, dude, yeah, that's um, pretty hardcore. It's, yeah, things are definitely building up. Yes, they're getting they're getting a little tired. Yeah, of, they're like we're we're 120 pages through the book. Can we get this wrapped up, please? Yeah, more and more violence is happening. They go out to Tiger's Bite, which is this island. Well, and once they're on the beach, they see this little cabin, very similar to a thing that happened in the last book, where okay. they are stranded on a beach and they see a little cabin. It doesn't happen exactly like this, though. The boys advance cautiously to reconnoiter the cabin. 
Suddenly, they were startled by the sound of a plane engine revving up along the bight. A moment later, the plane soared into view among the trees. It's Sky Happy Sal! Frank yelled. The craft was heading seaward. To the boys' astonishment, it banked and circled sharply, then came swooping in low, straight towards them. The pilot cut the motor, and the, Har- the Hardys caught a fleeting glimpse of Jack Wayne and another man in the plane's cabin. Jack waved to them frantically. Don't go into that cabin! He shouted as he was, like, about to die. <laughs> the pilot gunned the engine, trying to work up flying speed again. But the plane dipped and went into a stall. He's going to crack up! Joe yelled. An instant later, the boys heard a terrific impact and the crash of crumpling metal! I love this scene. He sees the boys on the beach, dive-bombs them, and then tries to shout a message from them from the airplane. I imagine that they couldn't hear anything. And also, like, the canopy is open? Like, what is happening that he's oh like, Don't go in that cabin! And then like, just crashes right into the ground. It kind of, I imagine it like, you know, when there's a car accident and everything goes into slow motion? Yes. It's like that, but his voice is in, like, regular <laughs> speed. <laughs> he's like, oh, hey, guys, by the way, I'm Don't go there. in that cabin! <laughs> And then he tries to pull up. Like, I love that he killed the engine as yeah. he was approaching the ground and then tries to start the engine again. You're like, yeah. no, man, it's too late. You killed the engine. But, like, the crash of crumpling metal. Yes. That's good. I that's like good. that. I really like that sentence. It's like the airplane's they, made out of aluminum foil. Both of the people in the plane are fine. One of the guys yeah. scrambles out and is scrambling all over the ground, clearly looking for a gun. The other... No, he goes flying out of the plane. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He is, like, shot out of the plane and then later is, like, just standing up looking for a gun. Yeah, he's thrown, like, 30, 40 feet. Oh, my god! Under the beach and then he gets up and he's like, where's my gun? And they're like, ignore that guy. He's probably fine. Um, let's get Jack out of there. And they get... They, they haul... Uh, his limp form out of it. And as they're, they're like, let's pull him into this cabin. It's probably, you know, like safer in there. Jack kind of wakes up and is like, it's, it's rigged with bombs. Yeah. <laughs> and it's in. like, sometimes these criminals are using bombs. Sometimes they're just trying to gas you a little yeah. bit. Like, <laughs> it's like, don't, it's, it's rigged with bombs. While they're talking, uh, Jack Wayne and kind of getting some information from him while he's like barely conscious from yeah. this plane crash. They say, I sure hope he's still alive. Next sentence, there was no time to be gentle. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> yeah, because after they get him out of the plane, though, it does blow up in a big fireball. That's true. So it so, is good that they got him out. Yeah. But while they're taking care of Jack, uh, the a guy, the other criminal who was thrown up from the plane steals their boat. Yeah. So they end up stuck on this island. And you think it's going to be them, like, with a with a injured person stuck on this deserted island. But they are immediately rescued. Yeah, really great timing. Instantly. And, and by the way, they're in this, like, spooky bay where secret, nobody ever goes. Yeah, this secret island. Everyone's like, knows. don't go there. There's, like, sharks that eat people. Yeah, tiger sharks. Yeah. But um, but a guy just happens to be out there and is like, oh, Perfect. hey, boys, we'll give you a ride. Yeah. there's it's t- It becomes very hard to... For there to be any tension in the Hardy Boys, when every time they're in danger, they're immediately out of danger. There's no, like, building of crisis. We're like, oh, no, we're alone. Now we're out of food. The heat is blazing down. I think Jack's getting sicker. You know, it's like the building of the tension. There's none of that. It's It's like... It's just on, off, off. On, off, on, off. Danger. Danger. They're fine. Why does this say the prize boner of all time? Wait, what? The prize boner of all time. I need to see the context. Yeah, I'm really interested in where that... Uh, there was no chance, no possible chance of retrieving the craft. It was already picked up 
it, I it was already picking up speed, heading out over the bite towards the open sea. The prize boner of all time, Frank groaned. We're stranded here, Joe, and Jack needs medical attention. So I guess the prize boner is a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Leaving your boat to be stolen is the prize boner of all time. <laughs> I really love that phrase, prize boner. There are some great sentences in this. Yeah. Uh, well, they, they get home, you know, from being rescued. Oh, they, they take Jack Wayne to the hospital. They find out from Chief Colleague that everybody passed their lie detector test. Yeah. Um, and so they go to talk to the uh, the watchman again, the guard, and they're like, and this is what we were talking about earlier. They're like, do you, do you have any like gaps in your memory? And he's like, not that I remember. Wait a second. Yes, I now that I think about it, even for a, just a moment, I do remember that there were two gaps of yeah. several minutes in my memory where I must have fallen asleep. Yeah. Um, so they stunned him, and then they went in and rearranged the wires okay. in the elevator. I have got to talk about this on page 130. So I'm just going to read. Joe glanced eagerly at his brother as their convertible pulled away from the curb. Let's hear your theory, Frank. Chief Colling says the lie detector test shows that all three people involved are telling the truth. Frank began. The watchman, the messenger, and Mr. Tiffman. So... Therefore, Frank continued, we can assume the watchman did take the messenger up in the elevator, but not to the fifth floor. And O'Banion did deliver the gems, but not to Tiffman's office. Now, wait a minute, Joe said. If O'Banion didn't take the diamonds to Tiffman's office, where'd he take them? To an office on the sixth floor or possibly the fourth. How do you figure that? The watchman blacked out twice. Frank replied. During that time, someone could have tampered with the elevator controls and also with the office numbers. Joe frowned. So Mike thought he was letting the messenger off on the fifth. But actually, it was one floor higher or lower. Right. Could the elevator setup actually be doctored to fool the operator that way? Joe asked. Frank nodded as he braked for a red light. I'm sure it could, Joe. That elevator's a push-button job with solid doors. Not an old-fashioned cage with a manual control. Oh, shit, this book is outdated. A smart mechanic could make the elevator stop at the wrong floor just by switching a few wires beforehand. What? And the person inside wouldn't know the difference, even the watchman himself, unless he timed the ride. Okay, so we can we can stop there. It goes on and on. Like, Frank explains what they did over and over again. Again, this. all pretty much like a hunch. Yeah, he's like, what if they switched the wires around? And you're like, is that how elevators work? And he's like, I guess. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> We're going to say, yes, it is. Yeah, like, I'm into the idea. I even would understand. Well, no, I don't even understand that. I was like, did they switch, like, the little, like, the actual... Numbers? Numbers? That would that make more sense to me too. that like, you hit five and it right. would actually take you to floor... But it seems so elaborate. They were able to... So rather than just rob the guy who was delivering the gems... Right. They knocked the guard out, snuck in, tampered with the elevator... Right. Then let the guard think he was delivering it as a person played a gemologist. And then they... Knocked him out again and re-tampered with the elevator? It seems like the most elaborate... I hope that they did re-tamper. I hope that they were like, (laughs) we're going to, like, you know... Clean up our mess. Put it back. Put it back. Well, they want to get rid of the evidence that they were there. Um, So I think they do. The crooks could have had duplicate nameplates made up beforehand to match the ones on five. 
So they even put up nameplates on all the doors in the hallway to yeah. make it so the guard would think he was on the right floor. Some pretty fast work. So elaborate. Minutes. When they could have yeah. just stunned and robbed the delivery boy. Or like, think of the fun possibilities too. Like, yes. you could like stun the guard, <laughs> pick up the guard, and drop him off in some random building room. In a different outfit. Decorated. Yeah, in yeah. a different outfit. And then he wakes up and he's like, what just oh my god, I'm going crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I really like um they find out some more. Oh, they're like, okay, so how do we how are they doing this blackout trick where they where they knock everybody out? Right. And uh because it can't be the gas they've been using the rest of this book. Right. And they're like, well, maybe that's where uh Professor Darrow comes in. Maybe he invented a machine for them. Perhaps he's even trying to work off a grudge against society because no one would back his research. Or maybe or he may have been brainwashed. And I'm like, you're giving this guy a lot of benefit of the doubt. But I like that he thinks, like, maybe he just hates everyone and wants to invent a paralyzer ray for criminals now. Yeah. I mean, that happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where people are like, you know what? I've uh, been a contributing member of society for my entire life, but now you won't fund my research. That's so great. off to super crime. Fuck you. Fuck uh, you. Fuck you. I feel like that happens a lot with, like, bad guys in, in uh, superhero movies where they're like, my research needs the funding. And they're like, well, I'll just have to rob a couple of banks and then I'll have the funding. And you're like, no one at the university is going to ask where you got the funding. <laughs> and what are those big bags with money symbols on them over there in the corner? Like, Well, and like, I, I get the impression that, that the professor like believes in his cause a lot. Yes. Like, wants to help the world. And he's, how can he be so smart and so foolish at the same time? Well, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the professor in a little bit. All um, right. So they think that now they say that now the riddle has three answers. The riddle, the riddle of the missing floor. Um, it could have three answers. It is one, the phony numbered floor at the Haley building Two, the hinged tile summer house floor or three, the invisible floor at old man Perth's bedroom study. And I'm like, probably three, the one that is actually a floor that is missing. The other two are not. That. Well, I think that the gangsters are just like into the theme. Into the theme. They're of like, floors. this is a great book we're in. Oh, but what Let's if we could, what if we could make the the floor that we rob a missing floor, and then all of them are like, oh, <laughs> and they like it. clap their little hands together. They're like, this is so much fun, Time guys. Time hardware. This is the most fun heist I have ever been a part of. Right. They're like, and also like, where did we get all this tear gas? And they're like, we had there was a sale. We got it in bulk. We have a whole case of it. <laughs> They're careful. all making like invisible floor t-shirts that are part <laughs> awesome. of this club now. Private it sucks that we can never wear these though because like people will know we're criminals and they're like, but will they? They get home and they're they're having dessert. And Tony and Chet show up and they found the sea cat. They the sea cat is the boat that um the frogman was in. Mm-hmm. So they found the sea cat. They decide they're gonna go out to this dark and creepy cove, which I guess is by the mansion. I don't know. Oh, no, no. They just go out to this cove. They use their dad's radio signal sender which to track this boat in the dark, which is like a ring of metal that they click on, and there's this... And then as they turn it, if it's pointing the boat, it's like... And they use that sound to track the boat on the open water and follow it. Very cool. I didn't understand it. Um... That was weird. The light just went out. Oh, it was that light. It was that light. Okay, I thought it was like a street light outside. Anyway. Um, but I, I love the weird invention. They've never used this tool before. It, it would have come in handy lots of times. Yeah. Um, when they've been like out in the fog and they're following a boat and they can't find it, this would have been perfect. 
and they so end they, up they're following the radio signal coming from the boat, right? Or Can they also like eavesdrop on people's phone calls. I have no idea. I I couldn't tell if they were tracking the radio signal of the boat or if they were just sending out a radio signal and where the boat was. There was a dip because the boat was interfering with the radio signal, so they were able to track that like lower oh, tone. Like echolocation kind of. Deal. I guess like it was very back. weird and very poorly explained, but I thought it was still pretty cool. Um, and they end up just back at the damn mansion, don't yeah. they? Like when they follow mm-hmm. the boat, they, they just end up to the mansion. Like we could have just gone out here. They see the robot dog again. Yeah, um, and Frank had to clamp a hand over Chet's mouth to prevent the stout youth from shrieking. Right. <laughs> it's like every time we mention Chet, we have to mention that he's fat in this book. It's just a mechanical spook spook hound to scare off people like us. And what succeeded with one person as Chet like <laughs> tried to like not let them know he peed just a little bit. Yeah, the fat boy announced. Yes, the fat boy announced. It's so. The the narrator is actually one of the cruelest persons, like people to Chet. Um, yeah, in one that's book, true. they had to scramble through this little hole, and it was. And the narrator said the hole was large enough for a normal person to crawl through, <laughs> but Chet got stuck. And you're like, oh, a wow. normal person? Oh my! I feel like the author really has issues with this. Like, yes, they they're like he's a fat this. fatty, and that's yeah. uh, and everyone needs to point it out to him, or he's never going to learn. Yeah. yeah. They they chase the ghost. They see the ghost again. They chase him. The ghost is running towards their car or a car. Yeah, and they're in the middle of this like battle with the ghost at some point. Yeah. Chet remarks, pretty solid for a ghost. And then Joe says, not as solid as you. Not now, Joe. <laughs> There's not time for this. He's now really. Oh. When they, they find out that the ghost, when they catch him, after they fat shame Chet just one more time. Yeah. Um, they, they find out that the ghost is the guy who stole the amethyst. He's the guy who was passed out in the woods at the beginning of the book. He's the guy who dropped the coin. The guy who dropped the coin. Um, and at first, he's like, just let me go. And they're like, well, we're going to call the police on you. And he's like, well, okay, never mind. I'm, I'm going to talk for the next four pages. And this ghost gives them so much information. Yeah. So... He's not working with the criminals, right? He's like his own deal. Right. Well, his father was an enemy of the guy who... Right. Mr. Perth. His father found an amethyst, like, load. Yeah. And then asked Mr. Perth for financing. And then Mr. Perth, Mr. Perth like, screwed him out of all the money and yeah. stole all the amethyst. And right. never... And then was a weird, like, very weird about it where he didn't, like, sell the amethyst or... Use them as collateral for something. No, he, he was, was like, "I'm just gonna hide them from you." Yeah, he's like, "Ha ha! I got your amethyst. It's hidden somewhere right around here. If you can find it, anyone could find it, but you never will." Yeah, and then he dies. Yeah, and he's like, "And it's outside the property." So, uh, and then he has a heart attack and dies. And yeah. so, yeah, and then the other guy died of what, like grief or something. Right, but but before, so the guy who was the father of this guy that we of just the ghost. met, yeah, also like started up this whole thing where he dressed up like a ghost and like to wander around the property around. looking for, uh, which that's going to draw so much more attention to you. <laughs> You're like, you could just be. I think there's a prowler out there, and people would be like, "Well, maybe we should go check it out." And they're like, "I don't think there's a person out there," or if it is, I don't want to mess around with it. But yeah, they're like, like "There's a ghost," and they're like. Everyone needs to go out there right now and see this ghost. Right. Um, Especially if you're, like, obviously a dude in Nikes. Yes. (laughs) The sheet on your head. Um, They, uh, Chet and Tony, decide to take the ghost 
to the Hardy house to give him to Fenton. And to get a snack. And to get a snack. They make that pretty clear. Maybe Aunt Gertrude will make us dessert. Yeah. Um, I'd be I'd get into that, too. And then Frank and Joe decide they're going to go back into the tunnel. Yeah. That now is the time to go into the house. But first they peek into the house and they see a, a mad scientist laboratory. Yeah. And they're like, oh, we think that's the guy from the university. That's that got to be Aiden Darrow. Um, I like this. So Frank had only been half serious when he spoke of trying to enter the house through the tunnel. But Joe's excitement communicated itself to him. Yeah. That's great. How? I love that they have contagious excitement. Yeah. They're like so in tune with each other. They they sneak in to the tunnel. They get into the mansion. This must be the laboratory. Frank whispered. Joe held up crossed fingers. Okay, let's find out. Frank opened the door. Professor Darrow was holding a test tube of colored liquid up to the light. Like a scientist. Yeah. He turned as the boys entered and gave such a violent stare that the liquid splashed on his workbench. Professor Darrow? Frank inquired. Joe closed the door softly behind him. The scientist's hands trembled as he placed the test tube in a rack. He stared at the Hardys through his steel-rimmed eyeglasses, and his eyes were full of fear. Who are you? What do you want? He blurted out in a shrill, staccato voice. The muffled strains of the radio music could be heard through the floor. We're Frank and Joe Hardy, sir, Frank began. Our father is Fenton Hardy? He assumed, rightfully, because like everybody knows yes. Fenton Hardy, he assumed the name would be familiar to a crime detection expert. But Darrow glared at them, giving no sign of recognition. Uh, Fenton Hardy, the private investigator? Joe emphasized. Maybe you've heard of him? This is the first time they've ever met anyone who doesn't know who their dad is or appears yeah. to not know who their dad is. It's like the classic don't you know who I am moment. Yes. In their fur coats and their pearls. Maybe. The scientist's eyes bored through the boys. He wore a white lab coat and his wispy fringe of gray hair frothed out wildly around his narrow skull. Why did you come here? So, yeah, I love that. He's such a stereotypical mad scientist. Yeah. And he's like, he doesn't have to wear a lab coat. He's not at a lab. He's working in a mansion. He right. could just be wearing, like, a, a, you know, just a normal outfit. But like, what is this liquid that he's even, like, playing A colored with? liquid. Is it tear gas? Is he making tear gas oh, canisters? that's where it comes from. Um, he must be. They basically, they tell... They tell him, like, your sister's looking for you, and the college is looking for you. He's like, no, they just want to steal my inventions. And then he points a ray gun at Frank and yeah. shoots him, and Frank becomes paralyzed and falls down. And then the crooks show up, and yeah. Joe runs away, and it all goes crazy. Oh, my God. This is the most exciting part. It's so much like the Scooby-Doo, though, where they're running indoors, and the bad guys are running indoors after them, and then they're running out of different doors, and, like, they all are missing each other yeah. and stuff. Because the mansion is apparently designed as, like, a big labyrinth. Yeah, of doors. it's very much a big maze, and Joe is hiding behind curtains, which yes. is so cute. And listening to Classic. them, be, like, give exposition and, and uh, exp the crooks explain, yeah. like, everything that they've done. They also find out from listening to the crooks talk to the professor, while Joe is, like, laying there, I assume, foaming at the mouth on the floor. Yeah, that they're like, a little. <laughs> yeah, that he's like, oh, these are government spies. These 17-year-old boys are government spies who are here to steal your research. And he's like, they are? Oh, okay. Oh my gosh. Um, I know. Poor Mr. Darrow. Yes. Professor Darrow is just like lost in his own Yes, fear. he's clearly like has early onset Alzheimer's or something. Yeah. He's being taken advantage of by these criminals who's convinced him that everyone is out to steal his inventions. 
also like with the level of like being able to convince people of things that this what's the bad guy's name again? Uh Strang. Strang. Noel like, Strang, the jewel thief. I feel like Strang could just like convince so many people to just, just do give things him for gems. Him. Yeah. Like, why does he have to involve all of this? He could just some like lonely old rich women. Yes. And just swindle some of their old stuff. people. Uh, that happens a lot, actually. So <laughs> Joe manages to kind of get back to Frank's unconscious body and wake him up once yeah. the criminals are out of that room. And he's fine. He's not, you know, there's no lasting damage. Uh, damage. But the crooks, as they're trying to get out of the house or, like, sneak out, one of the crooks sees them. And all the yeah. crooks have handheld versions of this big paralyzing ray. This is amazing technology. Yeah, it's awesome. And I love that we find out that the mad scientist... Wanted to use this invention for the greater good. Yeah, for defense. It's a gun that paralyzes people. Temporarily. Temporarily, right. But you're like, we're going to find out that 30 years later, this leads to serious nerve damage to have this done. Or, you know, that there's going to be some fascist government that's going to use that on its own people. It's The very, U.S. government, yeah. this is the 50s, 1968. Exactly. Nixon administration has paralyzing technology. We don't see a lot of protesters out in the street. It's uh, very reminiscent of, like, the atomic bomb. Thing, yes. Where people are like, what have I done? Yes. But he, I love that his idea is like, this will only be good used for good. And you're like, you made it into a gun, sir. It also just makes me think of the gangsters as, like, sophisticated mall cops. Yeah. They're like, we have, like, tasers. You. Yeah. yeah. They don't want to hurt nobody. Um, and then, let's see. Oh, they the boys, let's see, they get away and they get into the room and and trigger the mechanism for the floor to disappear. Yeah, they accidentally, like, they're in this room and all of a sudden the floor starts to drop. To drop. Um, and we realize that if you press a button, the floor lowers down so you can access the basement, which is cool. Yeah, side question though, like, yeah. is this also a consistent theme with Hardy Boys where it's like, something seems magical, but then they actually find out it's really a person oh, yeah. in Absolutely. a costume. Okay. And they never think that something is actually magical. They're not, they're never like, maybe it is a ghost. They're always uh -huh. like, I wonder who's dressed up as a ghost. Yeah. They, or there was a monster, and they're like, who's pretending to be a monster? Uh -huh. They never are like, is there a real monster? That's never part of the mystery. Well, very they're like, and, or Yeah, or they'll be like, the monster came out of the water. It was man-shaped. <laughs> <They're like, laughs> it was oh, man-shaped. Probably a man. I just imagine being like a 12-year-old boy. I want to be a 12-year-old boy reading the Hardy Boys. Yes. And be like, like oh. everything I'm afraid of is really just a stupid human that I'm better than. Yeah, exactly. An incompetent <laughs> adult. Yeah. Um, running around in a bed sheet in the woods. You're not, I'm not afraid of that person. <laughs> Let's see. They, they get back into the tunnel. And once they're in the tunnel, so they've accessed the tunnel from the woods in this, by using this uh, secret lowering floor. And they're just standing in the tunnel. And they're like, hey, that brick is a different colored brick than the other brick. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just like this could be just like, And they pull the brick out and there's bags of gems and diamonds and amethysts and everything. Maybe I built this up too much in my head, but yeah. I thought it was going to be like a dragon's mountain of gold. Yeah. And it was some bags of gems. I mean, yeah. it's still very valuable, but it sure. was, they're like, and they don't, they're not even, they're not even impressed by this. They found so many jewels in their lives that yeah. they're like, hey. There's some jewels in here. They stuff them in their pockets and stuff them in their shirts. In their shirt. I didn't know if they meant like their shirt pockets or like they made a little bundle with the I, bottom yeah, of their shirt to a little hold kangaroo some gems. pouch. That's what I imagined. They they get back to they get back into the mansion because they know that if they try to leave through the tunnel, there's gonna be somebody out like guarding the exit. Yeah. So they go back into the mansion. Which is pretty smart. That yeah. And they find the professor again who is now remorseful. 
And he's like, I now know yeah. that you Over are the, the Hardy Boys. Of these like ten minutes, he's had this revelation he's of like, like yeah, Wait a all minute. these people are the bad guys, and you're the good guys. And they're like, do you mind if we use this phone to call our dad so he can come get us? And he's like, sure, go ahead. And then they use the phone, and the guy, and they hear like a laugh, and then the phone ends. <laughs> and like, then the professor is like, oh yeah, my phone is tapped, by the way. Yeah. And they're like, well, will they know which phone was picked up? And he's like, yes, I think there's a sensor or something that tells them when I pick up the phone. And they're like, well, then we have to leave right now. Right. But they're too late. The crooks with portable ray guns. Which, this is the first appearance of ray guns in, like, handheld, late, like, ray guns in the Hardy Boys, so that's a pretty big deal for me. It is a big There deal. has been amazing inventions that could, like, shatter glass with a beam of light, but never paralyze a person. And then the boys get tied up, and the criminals do the same thing they do in every Hardy Boys book. They just talk forever. Oh my god, it's like five pages of just... Of them being the- like... Here's but, what I was gonna do to you. And they're like, but then, but they're like, but who was the gemologist that the messenger dropped off the diamonds? Where they're like, that was me in a disguise. And they're like, but then who was the frogman who tried to drown Joe? And they're like, that was a guy you hadn't met before. Yeah, his name's you know that was Moose. That was Moose. Uh, and it just goes on, and they just they're clearly stalling. Yeah, the Hardy Boys just keep asking questions, but the rules are the criminal has to answer them. Right. Instead of being like, I'm not telling you nothing. Kill this kid. Yeah, because otherwise, Mr. Fenton is gonna be like, cut, 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 cut. 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 Come cut. on, man, you gotta, you gotta tell do the him whole everything. Thing. He's like, but I got, I'm sorry, I, I couldn't remember my monologue. That's <laughs> what? I, what is the part after we steal their boat? <laughs> right. I'm in a murder mystery show and we have like the big explanation at the end that unveils everything. And you can just see people in the audience's like eyes light up and they're like, I knew it. I knew it. Yes. And so that's happening uh, to the Hardy Boys. As the crooks are telling the Hardy Boys all the answers, uh, Professor Darrow plugs back in his ray gun and blasts all the crooks. Except for Strang, who's fine. And then the boys, I, I, I love the order of events of this. They punch him into submission, so they beat him to a point where he is incapable of moving anymore. And then, which arguably could be worse than being shot by one of those ray guns. Absolutely, they beat him into a pulp, and then afterwards, uh, Daryl's like, "I should hit him with the ray gun, so he's paralyzed, so he doesn't try to get away." Yeah. And they're like, "Oh, should we have done that first? <laughs> right? Before we beat him into a bloody pulp?" And, oh and they're like, God. "And so to be there, lying on the ground, barely conscious, after being pummeled by these two it's super strong boys. It's all going to work out because the bad guys are supposed to be ugly. So right. he's all deformed so, from and then And then you see the mad scientists be like, zap, and then you're paralyzed. And so, uh, yeah, and then the... I just also want to point out that they're that when they're like running from the bad guys, they ran wildly up the steps two at a time. Yes, and also skipping like skipping steps. Yeah. I would have caught the t- front of my toe on one of the steps and fallen face first, like up the stairs. Uh, yeah, and been like, oh no, <laughs> I'm, I'm not as competent as the Hardy Boys. My, my inner twelve year old boy like loves that image. Yes, like, of them like, leaping yeah, up the stairs. I'm gonna think about them when I run two steps up the stairs. Um, but then the, the book ends with Chet and Tony and Fenton all arriving to save the day. Mm-hmm. Um, they all agree to split the proceeds of the reward for the stolen gems. Yeah, they help... Because the poor guy in the ghost costume also has a sick wife. Yes, a sick wife. <laughs> Just like, who, oh. who Can you imagine a sick wife in the hospital being like, where's my husband? And they're like, 
he said he's going to go find some gems like, yeah. and it's all going to be okay. And she's like, oh God, tell just, me it's not the amethyst thing again. Yeah. Like, he's been talking about this for years. He's just been looking for an excuse. And like, now he's like, honey, it's a foolproof plan. I dress up as a ghost and go out in the woods. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to find him one day. Oh, I'm going to die. Oh um, God. Yeah, and that's, and that's the end of the book. Um, they decide to give some of their money to Jack Wayne so he can get a new airplane. He's like, don't worry, she was insured. And they're like, yeah, but you can trick out your new plan with some yeah. cool stuff. And uh, what's the name of the next one? It's a... Uh, they, they tease the next mystery. The mystery of the Flying Express. Ooh, uh, which I will hope be the next one. tricked out new plane gets involved. That would be cool, but yeah. that seems like a little more continuity than the Hardy Boys are known for. Mm. All right, well, that um, that's the end of the book. Let's check in with Bingo one more time yeah. and see if any of us got a bingo. I don't think I did. The boys did get tied up. And there was a reward, so I do have those. But I would need a submarine and Nazis to get that bingo. Yeah, if I had Nazis, I could have a bingo. Man, it's rare that you're like, I wish there was more Nazis. <laughs> um, was There weren't any plane rides where bad things didn't happen. Every time somebody got in a plane... There was no cult, but I would like to read the one about the cult. I've yes, there that. was an Aztec. There was a, an Aztec cult at one point. And then the last book we read, there was an island that had been taken over by a guy who was like a pirate king, and Whoa. he had kind of turned the native people into a cult to worship him and into slaves, and the boys led a slave rebellion and overthrew this, like, tyrant who had taken control of the island. Oh my god, are you it was, serious? Yeah, it was pretty freaking cool. This is like a Tuesday afternoon I know, this is like a stolen boys. bicycle adventure. Oh I know. my god. Um, yeah, I, I, I think this one was great because it had ray guns and a mad scientist, and a ghost. Those things were really fun. Um, but as far as your first Hardy Boys, like what what are your... Um, so I didn't get a bingo. Did you get a bingo? Uh, no, but I have on my bingo card a made-up country. Do they make up countries they sometimes? They do. They'll go to made-up islands in made-up countries in South America a lot. South, I mean, Central America is all made up countries. Oh, that's so funny. Yes. I, I do get a gang with a gimmick because oh, yeah. I feel like Disappearing Floors is their gimmick. Is their gimmick. They yeah. managed to tie that bizarre theme into a lot of the elements of their crime. Um, cool. Well, this was super fun. Yeah, thanks for um, having me on. A really weird adventure um, with a lot of the great staples of the Hardy Boys. So you were just talking about how you were doing a murder mystery show right now. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, it's called Dinner Detective Murder Mystery. Okay. It happens um, at the Embassy Suites Hotel in downtown great. Denver. And um, yeah, it's really fun. We get to fuck with people a lot. It's nice. highly improvised and... Uh, one person solves the mystery at the end of the night and gets a prize. Oh, that's great. Like one of the, one of the attendants. Yes. Oh. It's a four course meal. Oh, great. So you come in, you sit down, you don't know who's an actor and who isn't. Right. And then throughout the night, people drop clues and you you hopefully figure it out. That's great. How long does that go? Uh, it's been, it's an ongoing show. It's cool. been going for years. Great. Well then, definitely check it out. What, what, and it's called, what is it again? Say it It's called The Dinner Detective. Dinner Detective, and it's at the Embassy Suites. Uh-huh. That sounds awesome. What else do you have going on right now? Um, I am so in a busy. group called Soul Stories. Okay, that's right. You're, and you're well known for your storytelling. Yeah, and so Soul Stories is this, uh, group, it's a community group that puts on events that bring together dialogue and storytelling. Excellent. I'll put links to that in the show notes for the show so everybody can track that down. Cool. Um, Great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Chelsea. It's been so much fun. Yeah, thanks a lot. Okay. For this drink, you're going to take two peaches, take the pits out, and dice them up. Then you're going to throw them in a blender with two mint leaves. 
and an ounce of simple syrup. Fill chilled champagne flutes with the puree until they're about a third full, and then top off with some nice cold Prosecco. Garnish with a little bit of mint leaf. I like to call this drink the Champeach Mint, and I have a feeling we're going to be hearing a lot about it over the next couple of months. The Hardy Boys Drink Book Podcast is produced by Jack and Charles Webster. It is a part of the Panelism Network. Our graphic design is by Kristen Hallstrom, and our music is by Danny Overby. I want to say a special thanks to Chelsea Ochoa for being on the show. Our next episode is going to be the 20th Hardy Boys book that we've covered. It's been a bizarre and unusual journey, but this next episode is going to be our last. I want to thank everybody who's kept tuning in, and I want you to keep listening for next episode and for great new things on the horizon. Thanks again, and don't forget to tune in to the final episode of the Hardy Boys Drink Book Podcast, episode number 20, The Mystery of the Flying Express, featuring Mike Marlowe.